0: Hey listeners, welcome to Theologic. We have a new style of episode for you today. We uh, usually discuss a topic. We have done interviews, but now we are adding a third dynamic to the podcast. And both of these gentlemen, along with myself, are excited. I'm Zach Deacon. I'm Zach Packey.
1: I'm the very excited Sean Musch. Welcome
0: to Theologic. Yay! Listen to the words of Proverbs chapter 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple knowledge and discernment to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I opened up with Proverbs just because it came to mind. These guys are going to be debating a topic to which uh, there's some disagreement on, but they're brothers in Christ. Yeah.
2: Thank you for putting that together. Yeah. We
0: love each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, We seek to glean wisdom and instruction from not just the Proverbs, but the Word of God. Yeah. Uh, We fear the Lord. We understand that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Uh, Fools do indeed despise wisdom and instruction. So we're going to be doing, hopefully, some instruction with each other today.
2: Mm.
0: Um, But we love the Lord, we fear the Lord, and we love each other. So Mm. we're not going to let any type of uh, uh, friendly theological disagreement get in the way of that, in fact. We've discussed it a handful of times already this morning, how thankful we are to have this, to be here. So, Mm -hmm. uh, just some rules, regulations for the debate, so the listeners can understand what's going to be going on. You have, in one corner, Pastor Zach Padkey in the other corner, Pastor Sean Mushin. we're going to be discussing or debating Quote, the Sabbath is the law and is therefore necessary for the Christian to observe according to the scriptures. There will be 15 minutes of introduction from either side. And that's going to be ish, that first episode you're going to be listening to. So hang on. This is going to be a little bit longer of a discussion, but I really think you guys are going to enjoy it. There's going to be another 15 minute time frame where there's going to be some rebuttal period. And then the... uh, The piece de resistance. (laughs) (laughs) Cross-ex. The cross-examination at the end where they get to ask each other questions. Um, I love both of these guys. I've gleaned so much wisdom from the both of them. And I really look forward to uh, not just the last portion, but all of it. And so we flipped a coin. Patkey won. Yeah, and he is going to go first. So yeah,
2: can so I that... mention one thing before I go? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, when it comes to the topic we're debating here, uh, this is not a topic that is foundational to whether you were a Christian or not. Whether you observe, Amen. And this yep. is something where this is an in-house discussion mm-hmm. amongst brothers in in Christ, and uh, just wanted to to uh, to lay that out here so people don't think, oh, well, if they can't agree on this, man. They must. How can you agree on anything biblical? So right. good clarification.
0: So. Yep. With that being said, I am going to – and for your uh, for your listening uh, forethought, um, I will be holding these gentlemen to strict time frames. Yeah. And so you can know that when you're listening, uh, these introductions, half hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one, half hour. And the next one after that, half hour. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to hold these guys to strict time frames. Um, they're going to be able to uh, – Give their thoughts as it as uh, as it uh, relates to the debate within the time frames, and then I will be uh, I will be uh, cutting them off. So, okay. just FYI, those are some of the rules for the listeners.
2: That's cutting off in uh, in a practical sense, not they're cutting off like in the Old Testament that you'd be killed, right? <laughs> yeah. or or cutting
1: off the drinks for
2: the night. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's not to
0: be rude either,
2: by the way. Yeah. Um, it's fair.
0: Uh, it's, it, fair. it's fair, and so we are going to keep these guys accountable. Uh, Because they're godly men. So, Patkey won the coin flip. And uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Zach Patkey, I open the floor to you, and your 15 minutes begins right now.
2: Uh, I want to start by talking about what we should remember, what we are actually debating. This is not a debate on whether it's a good idea or healthy to have a day of rest during the week. Um, Sean and I would both agree that we both need, and everybody needs, a day of rest during the week. It's Helpful. It's practical. Secondly, this is not a debate on whether the Sabbath was observed in the Old Testament or whether there might be a future day in which Sabbath observance would be instituted again in the end times. We are talking about centering the debate upon whether the Sabbath Sabbath keeping is law now and is therefore required of the New Testament Christian, or uh, on whether, if more specifically, on whether the Bible teaches Sabbath keeping. And perhaps secondarily, that Sunday is the New Testament Sabbath, and that has taken the place of the Old Testament Sabbath, namely Saturday. Uh, even more pointed than that, that the Scripture, properly interpreted, uh, requires Sabbath observance for New Testament Christians. We must keep our eye uh, uh, our eyes open for arguments uh, that come from historical passages of the Bible, but do not have... Uh, more that uh, uh, do not have other counterparts within the epistles. Uh, For example, just because Jesus had a beard, it doesn't mean that we should have a beard as well. Uh, Just because Jesus wore sandals, does that mean that we're more holy if we do so? Uh, Just because Jesus did something on a Sabbath day doesn't mean that anything regarding the continuation of the Sabbath practices for a Christian needs to continue. And so uh, an important clue is going to be if the epistles don't say it, uh, that is part of that. It should be part of our practice in the church. We must at least begin to think through whether this is a valid practice or not. That's uh, at least at least thinking that through. So my beliefs and arguments will be centered on the idea that Sabbath observance on uh, and our Sunday gatherings, though have similarities, they are fundamentally different in purpose and in picture. And being different, the Sunday gathering is not the Christian Sabbath. And so we must acknowledge foundationally the question we're trying to answer is, what does Christian conduct look like in relation to the Sabbath-slash-Sunday gatherings, and how might there be changes or differences between Old Testament Sabbath observance and New Testament church gatherings? So I'm going to start with some similarities. Uh, Similarity one, they are days in which worship, at least at times, was conducted. According to Leviticus 23 verses 2 through 8, there was a holy convocation that was to come, and and it was a special Sabbath day during a special feast day. Uh, As far as I understand it, the rest of the Sabbath days that were not special Sabbath days did not require a feast or not require a holy convocation they required rest and the uh, the rest of the the sabbath laws would certainly be in con- uh, in uh, uh- in relation to that as well. Sunday, however, uh, what we see in the New Testament, the first day of the week, 1 Corinthians 16 verses 1 and 2, Acts 20 verse 7, uh, giving was to be done. 1 Corinthians 16, preaching, fellowshipping, breaking of bread. Uh, this was implying and necessarily implying the necessity to meet and to worship. These were the, 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 uh, examples of what we are, uh, what we would be doing. The difference is worship is different in nature. Leviticus twenty three two through eight, a holy convocation, uh, they were required for only special Sabbaths and uh, Sundays. For example, they uh, giving was to be done, like I said, and they were they were every Sunday. Uh, the second similarity we look at is they are special days that are set apart. Uh, Exodus thirty one verses fifteen through sixteen describes the Sabbath as being holy to the Lord. Uh, And those who do not participate in the Sabbath, who do not make it holy to the Lord, shall surely be put to death. Sunday, according to Revelation 1.10, is the Lord's day. And now there's been debate on that. Is this the Lord's day? Is it actually talking about Sunday? Early church writings make that clear. The Didache in uh, Didache 14.11 and Ignatius to the Magnesians writes uh, regarding what the Lord's day is. And curiously, Ignatius to the Magnesians, first century... Uh, uh, that would be a uh, second century source writes this quote, if therefore those who were brought up on the ancient order of things have come to possession of a new hope, no longer observing the Sabbath, but living in observance of the Lord's day on which also our life has sprung. End quote. That's Ignatius to the Magnesians chapter nine, verse one, another difference regard to that. The way it is set apart is different uh, the Sabbath law requires continual observance, punishable by death. It is decked with all sorts of requirements in the Old Testament: no gathering sticks, according to Numbers fifteen thirty-two; no cooking, uh, Exodus sixteen twenty-three; no kindling of fire, Exodus thirty-five three, and a requirement of rest. I already read that in Exodus thirty-one verses fifteen sixteen and Leviticus twenty-three three. Sunday gives descriptions, or in another difference, the descriptions of how the worship was conducted, uh, as I already said. And understand this: when we're talking about Sunday worship, the day is given descriptively only in the Scripture, and not prescriptively. It is given in the sense of, essentially, in Acts twenty verse seven and First Corinthians sixteen. Essentially, that it was it was given. They, they meet on Sundays. And uh, and this is when this is what you do when you're there. While you're there, do this is what's happening. And Luke in Acts twenty verse seven uh, says we uh, just described what was taking place as the as the apostle Paul with his men were in Troas. And so uh, there then, and I think finally here the difference is that that the days themselves are different, just flat out. Sabbath was always Saturday in the Old Testament. And Sunday is always the first day of the week, and it's not. It doesn't matter what you name the day. That's people have been asking me that. It doesn't matter what you name the day, whether it's Sunday or Saturday. It is. Is it the first day of the week or is it the last day of the week? Uh, those are the descriptions of uh, of what the day should be. There's no instance where you clearly see stated the Sabbath by name or implication has been transferred from Saturday to Sunday, and that is an important point. My esteemed opponent here will no doubt say that with Jesus' work of new creation on the cross, he transfers the day from Saturday to Sunday. The problem is that not at all, that is not at all in Scripture. None of that is explained in Scripture. It is surmised from a historical event of Jesus' finished work and based on the assumption that the Sabbath has, to be, has been founded on the moral law. You won't find that explained in any other writings of the New Testament. In fact, the New Testament is clear. Christ has fulfilled the Sabbath, Was looking what the Sabbath was looking toward, and Sabbath keeping is no longer necessary to be observed. And we're we'll looking at here, uh, I'm going to be explaining here in Hebrews chapter 3 and going into Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, The writer of Hebrews is, uh, and I will say this, New Testament statements about the Sabbath, Christ has fulfilled the picture that the Sabbath represents. And that is found in Hebrews 3.11, beginning here, where the writer of Hebrews says this, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Uh, He is quoting from Psalm 95. The theme of the book of Hebrews is Christ is better than the old Jewish ways. Chapter 1 says, and 2, Christ is better than the angels. Chapter 3, Christ is better than Moses. And then here in chapter 3, Christ is better and a more sure heavenly rest. My point is the rest talked about in Hebrews 3 and 4 is our rest in heaven. That's what's being talked about. The Sabbath rest at creation looks toward the heavenly rest in Christ, and it is pictured in the original day, um, um, week of creation. The writer of Hebrews quotes Psalm ninety-five, as I said, and he makes a very specific point. He is talking about rest, and here is where the writer of Hebrews camps out, calling the his recipients to rest and find that rest. Be diligent to enter into that rest that is in Christ. And it was because of unbelief, the very things that the that his recipients were missing, were were uh, participating in, that they did not enter that rest. And so. Where they were not permitted to enter into that rest. And what is that? It's not the promised land, according to chapter 4, verse 8. The writer of Hebrews says, If Joshua had given them rest, then they would not afterward have spoken of another day. He is, again, talking about a heavenly rest. What is the main activity in heaven? Rest. Listen to the words of Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11. Uh, and this is uh, the martyrs under the throne speaking directly to God, saying, How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? And this is what it says, verse 9. He opened the fifth seal. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them. And listen to this. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and brethren and those who be killed as they were was completed. It is this rest that the writer of Hebrews is talking about. And so he interprets uh, verses 15 through 19, uh, interpreting Psalm 95. He says, "'Today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses, and with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest?' but to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. That was the purpose. He interprets that passage in that text. And we get into chapter four. And so the writer of Hebrews goes on to his exhortation. Therefore, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have good news preached to us, just as they also, and the word that they did, the the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. He's calling them to have that faith. And that, verse 3, for we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. And that's what's really important. Verses 4 and 5, I think, are key in uniting the idea of God's rest from the creation week to the rest that is mentioned in Psalm 95 and the rest that comes by believing in the gospel the writer of Hebrews talks about. Listen to this. Verse 4, For he had said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, they shall not enter my rest. What are we talking about? We're talking about the joining together of the Sabbath rest in creation week with the very rest that is being talked about, the heavenly rest here in Hebrews, and as I cross reference in Revelation chapter 6. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them, they failed to enter because of disobedience. He again fixes a certain day, today, saying through David after so long a time, just as has been before. In other words, don't harden your hearts now. Be quick to believe. Don't be ones who fail to believe. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Verse 8, for if Joshua had given them that rest, he would not have spoken of another day uh, after that. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the day in which God would ultimately give them rest. And here's the verse that my Reformed brethren like to kind of take out of context and make it mean something more specific related to the final day or this, the Christian Sabbath. Um Verse 9, so there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. My Reformed brethren like to say, well, see, now you got to observe the Sabbath. No, what has the writer of Hebrews been talking about the entire time? Rest in heaven, rest in Christ. Christ has fulfilled the picture. The Sabbath rest being talked about here is the heavenly rest that has already been mentioned. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his The creation week, the six days of creation uh, that were given, uh, almost essentially represent the life of a person their whole life through. What do we do? We live to serve God. We work for Him uh, in this life for the entire life that we have. And when we pass away, we enter into heavenly rest. It destroys the picture to do something that is not heavenly by nature while you're in heaven. And so why is it they... Uh, That In the Old Testament, you'd be killed for not observing the seventh day because you were destroying the picture that God has put with the Sabbath, that you would enter into heaven. You're messing up what is supposed to represent heaven. So Christ has fulfilled the picture that the Sabbath represents. Believing in the gospel fulfills the picture that the Sabbath represents. He says in Hebrews two four two the gospel was preached to us belief in that gospel according to chapter four verse three Christ in the gospel has opened the door for those who believe to find heavenly rest in Him as well as personal rest. Listen to this, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Being that Christ in the gospel has fulfilled this picture, it is no longer necessary to observe. Clearly identified in Colossians chapter two verses sixteen and seventeen. I'll read that, interpret it. it we'll be done because I have a minute and a half. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge regarding food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Why? Verse 17, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. A Sabbath day, along with the rest of them, looked toward the fulfillment that was Christ Jesus, and that which is the shadow is no longer necessary to observe. No one is to judge you according to it. No personal or biblical standard could stand up to condemn you for not observing a Sabbath, new moon, festival, or the like. And is spoken of as a shadow. Other things described in the shadow in the, new Te- as in, in the New Testament the sacrificial system, Hebrews 10 1, the tabernacle, Hebrews 8 1 through 5, both of which have been done away with when Christ came in terms of a necessary observance. It has been fulfilled, no longer necessary to sacrifice or have a tabernacle for worship. We'll end by saying this, the requirement for Sabbath observance is explicitly gone in the New Testament time. Let us rest in Christ, continue to honor him by gathering with God's people on Sunday with a different view in mind toward the day. Mr. Mushtin, your time starts right now.
1: I'm glad to have the opportunity to discuss this topic. I, as a pastor, have been preaching on the 10 commandments now for a few months, just wrapped up preaching on the fourth commandment. So uh, the timing is uh, fantastic. I want to present um, a couple of arguments separately uh, for the reason why we should observe the Sabbath uh, today, um, it's, um, in, in that the terms essentially uh, Lord's Day and Sabbath can be used interchangeably. Um, one is the title given in one covenant. Uh, the other, Lord's Day, is a title used for the New Covenant. And we're going to talk a little bit about how there is what's called continuity and discontinuity between those covenants. There are things that began in the Old Covenant and did continue on into the New. um, Well, at times there are things too that um, completely were left back in the Old Covenant not to come into the New. So we need to remember that there is that distinction there. I want to begin by going straight to uh, the commandment itself um, from the Ten Commandments. I want us to see that the fourth commandment is among the first of God's written word. These ten these ten words were written as a unit on tablets of stone with the finger of God. They were kept in the Ark of the Covenant. The rest of the law was kept beside the Ark. Let me break this down for us real quick. This these words and they're called words um, biblically. When we look at they're not they're not called um, the Ten Commandments. They're called the Ten Words. They are a unit. Uh, what we find in Exodus thirty four. Uh, 28 is we read so he being Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights he neither ate bread nor drank water and he wrote and he wrote the tablets of stone and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant the 10 words now, our English Bibles, most, of, most often it says Ten Commandments, but the, the Hebrew word there is devar, it is word. These are the ten words, it is a unit that goes together, not to be separated, not to be dissected. These are ten words, and these ten words are among the first of written scripture. Let me put it to you this way, Moses wrote most of Genesis through Deuteronomy, so that is to say that Moses' character is not found in Genesis. So, therefore, the events of Genesis were written after the fact. They're written within Moses' lifetime. He wrote of those events. He wrote the Exodus. He wrote Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Now, when you come into Exodus, the first time we hear about written scripture are these 10 words, and they are written by the finger of God in stone tablets. I want to mention that because I believe that is a point of emphasis that we need to be aware of. We, see, we read about this writing of the finger of God in Exodus 31, verse 18, and he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking, with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Now, these ten words had, had special treatment. What we find later on is a command from um, a command that uh, is given from Moses regarding these words. In Exodus 25, 16, it says, You shall put into the ark of the testimony, or what we might call the ark of the covenant, what I shall give you. We have a similar statement in Exodus 40 at the very end of the book of Exodus. This is commenting. He says, He took the testimony and put it into the ark and put poles on the ark and set the mercy seat above the ark. Now, here's why this is important. The Ten Commandments go inside the Ark. In Deuteronomy 31, verse 24 through 26, at the end of Moses' writings, we read, When Moses had finished writing the words of the law in a book, to the very end, Moses commanded that the Levites, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, take this book of the law and put it on the side of the of the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God that it may be there for a witness against you. So what we see here is that the 10 commandments have special treatment. The 10 commandments are produced in a very unique way the finger of God writes them down in stones of ta- in stone tablets and by the way scripture presents itself this is very likely the first thing ever written down from the Lord. The first thing and I want to emphasize this because opponents to my position will oftentimes either dismiss the Ten Commandments as being for Israel, and we only listen to what comes up in the New Testament, or they will try to rip the uh, Fourth Commandment, the Sabbath Commandment, out and say, well, it's just ceremonial. The rest are moral. This is just ceremonial. I don't believe Exodus and Deuteronomy give us that place to be able to say, yeah, we'll take the nine, but not number four. We'll take, we'll take nine out of the ten, but not number four. It is a unit. It is the ten words. It is a unit. It was written by the finger of God in stone tablets, not parchment, not paper, in stone, and stored inside the Ark of the Covenant, which was representative of God himself. His presence was there. And so these are things that we, I want us to keep in mind as we look at uh, this topic. Um, so again, that's looking at the eternal nature of the moral law, and also that it is different than the rest of the law. Um, the Ten Commandments are inside the Ark of the Covenant. The rest of the laws are on the outside. So there is different treatment within the text. So it's important for us to consider regarding, again, the eternal nature of the law. That's what I want us to see there. Now I want to transition us to seeing how this eternal moral law does not begin at Mount Sinai with the giving of the Ten Commandments by the finger of God written in tablets of stone, but it actually begins in creation. One of the things that I have noted as I've been preaching through the Ten Commandments is each command has its root earlier in Genesis, pre-exists the giving of the Ten Commandments. So what we see with this is that essentially how I like to word it in my sermons, the concepts of the Ten Commandments have their beginning in creation and are clarified in the commandments. And that is something we see also with the Sabbath. The fourth command is rooted in God's work of creation The concept of a weekly Sabbath is introduced in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, and clarified in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11, what we commonly call the Ten Commandments. The command gives both a reason and an example in Exodus 20, 11, pointing back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. So let me read those for us, and then we'll see how these connect and how this gives us a further reason for seeing uh, these things as beginning at creation and not Mount Sinai. So the command, let me just go ahead and read that for us to put the the, the plain command uh, before us. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do. you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or your sojourner, who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Now I want to pause real quick and just mention something that wasn't even really in my notes. This, on, the, on This reading kind of stood out to me. This applies to the sojourner as well. The sojourner receives rest. That's not Israel. So somebody that is not Israel is benefiting from this in the original publication of the Ten Commandments. So if somebody wants to argue that this is strictly for Israel, the very commandment itself has an inclusion of people that are not Israel. Now, the point that we need to see here is verse 11. It says, Because in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day made it holy. Let's go check it out in uh, Genesis chapter 2, and they'll come back, and we'll look at the commentary that is provided for us. So he's pointing us back to the creation account. The Lord is pointing us back to the creation account is the reason for the Sabbath, and this is what we find. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1 through 3 of Genesis. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested, on the seventh day, from all his work that he had done, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, does God need rest? Does he get tired? No, no, he does not. You know, he is the Almighty. Uh, this word "rest" here, in practical terms, means to cease. Something is finished, it's completed, and you cease from doing it. He's resting from that. He's ceasing from that work. That is what's going on here. It is complete. It is done. The work is finished. He ceases from that. And what we find is that it's detailed. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. I'm going to come back to that in a moment, but keep that in mind. There was an action of God regarding the seventh day. I'll come back and comment on that. But now what I want us to see is what God says about that time in verse 11 back in exodus chapter 20 says therefore the lord blessed the sabbath day and made it holy here's what we need to remember the sabbath day did not begin at mount sinai it did not begin even in exodus 16 before sinai where god gives a command with an expectation that the um, people of israel abide by a sabbath law so exodus 16 we find that but it goes even further The seventh day that we read about in Genesis chapter 2 was the first Sabbath. God's Sabbath on the seventh day of the first creation is our example of how we engage Sabbath rest. God's Sabbath rest on the week of creation is also our reason for it. It is a part of God's design for his creation. God not only created matter, but also purpose. He created Adam, but also but also gave him purpose. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27-28, this is his purpose. We read, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So he didn't just create Adam. He created him and gave him purpose. Same thing also we see later on in chapter 2 of Genesis. The Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Okay, so he's been created. He has purpose. He's going to work and keep this garden. But then we later on see marriage. We read, the Lord God took, I'm sorry. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So there we have it, marriage. Marriage is created there. So we have creation, we have creation of matter, and we have creation of purpose. And what I want us to continue to see in that is that God created the week of days and gave them purpose in, their create, in that creating. He didn't just create the days. There's a purpose. He blessed the seventh day. He made it holy. And Jesus, in the New Testament, as the Son of God, would say the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus didn't say the Sabbath was made for Israel. No, no he said it was made for man. It's a global statement. It is for all time because it is from creation itself. Now, with those things in mind, I'm going to quickly try to go over a few points of interpretation, how we think about these things. In the Bible, we have an idea of what's called continuity and discontinuity. There are things that begin in continuity, that is, things that begin in the Old Covenant, and they go over also into the New Covenant, but they are transformed. While we have things of discontinuity that are only in uh, the Old Testament, Old Covenant, and don't come into the New. Let me give you an example. Uh, The Passover and the Lord's Supper. The Passover, when it was given in Exodus 12, we read this. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep a feast. Okay, well, do we still celebrate Passover? No, we don't. But yes, we do. The Lord's Supper is the Passover. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. That statement of Paul matches perfectly with the narratives of Mark, Luke, Matthew, where Jesus sits down to the Passover meal as he's eating it and then tells them, okay, here's the Lord's Supper. In the moment of the Passover, the Lord's Supper is created from it. It begins in the Old Covenant, goes into the New Covenant, but there is transformation. It's not a one-for-one comparison. The essence of it is there, but it continues in. One more thing, shadow and substance. There are things in the Old Testament that... Um, are shadows of things to come. The ceremonial laws were shadows of things that were to come. The Sabbath is not only ceremonial. We have to understand in the old covenant, the Sabbath is spoken of both as ceremonial and as moral. It is both and. So in the moral context, it continues on eternally as God's moral law revealed on stone, and ceremonially it is a shadow that has or is, a, is a it is a shadow that has been done away with as the priesthood, temple, and other sabbaths plural. Thank you, Sean. Very good.
0: Thank you, gentlemen, for keeping to the time frames. This is an a uninterrupted rebuttal period for uh, the two of you. You guys will receive, again, 15 minutes. Uh, please, again, keep in mind the time frames, uh, the 15-second buffer, and all that we've discussed so far. Uh, again, uh, 15 minutes uninterrupted. Uh, Mr. Padkey, uh, are you ready?
2: Uh, sure.
0: Okay, your time begins now.
2: Well, I, uh, I want to start by saying if... For those who are listening, if you want to have a good case for the cohesiveness of the Ten Commandments, uh, I would, uh, I would, I would applaud, or I would refer you over to what Sean has just said. Uh, very, uh, a very helpful argumentation. I really was blessed by. Really appreciated that uh, his explanation that this was one of the very first uh, that was written. Um, Very first uh, of scripture that was written, and so that's very interesting to think through. uh, Very, very helpful to think through. Um, I, I still fail to see how there was a transfer over. Now he blessed the seventh day. I get that, but why is now Sunday the day? Uh, Maybe didn't get a chance to get to uh, perhaps the explanation of that. I know in his previous writings, and I can I can bring that out from what I've uh, understood uh, his. But maybe I shouldn't. I'm not sure. But uh, um, the idea that uh, they were given special treatment, I think that's very, very interesting. And I I appreciated his explanation on the Ten Commandments uh, being put into the Ark of God. Now, he had said that it was into God. I would argue that it was into his seat. Uh, It wasn't uh, his—and perhaps I misunderstood. I apologize if I misunderstood that. This was the mercy seat— Uh, This was the foundation of righteousness and justice, the representation of the law that was where God sat, as the Psalms say. Um, He uh, addressed the issue of the opponents speaking um, and ripping it out of context. I would uh, appeal to the idea of progressive revelation. Um, where, Where do we see progressive revelation when it comes to the continued observance of anything Uh, Old Testament, what does the New Testament say when it comes to what we are called to legitimately observe uh, as Christians, uh, there have obviously been things that are in the Old Testament that are no longer necessary for us to observe. Um, I think if we're talking about the dietary restrictions of the law, where we are allowed to eat pork now, the New Testament clearly states that. And as I mentioned in my opening arguments, the New Testament also clearly states that the Sabbath was a shadow and is no longer necessary to observe. And there's no one who can hold you to a standard in the New Testament to say that you must continue on observing the Sabbath. Let no one judge you. Uh, in that way. Uh he mentioned that the rest of the law is eternal and I guess maybe I misunderstood that but re- eternal because it was in the ark. Uh, I thought that was an interesting uh, interesting consideration. In fact, I I do think that there will be some uh we may have some discussion here on what that might look like in the future. I'm assuming he's going to ask me about that, but I shouldn't assume. Um, I I really appreciated his explanation on it being rooted earlier on in the book of Genesis. And yet I would argue as well that there is no command to observe the Sabbath until Exodus. Um, Foundationally, what led to them eventually observing uh, the Sabbath was the creation week. But there is nothing in the book of Genesis... From that time, the day was blessed to the end where there was any command within the moral law that they were called to observe the Sabbath. So, uh, but there was when it comes to murder, right? Um, Cain and Abel, the issue of Cain and Abel. uh, Cain was murdered, or Cain murdered rather, and he... Had um, uh, He had been faced with a curse at that point, though it wasn't exactly the same exacting of justice until, as we mentioned in a previous episode, Genesis 9, he would be killed by man. Uh, But there was a curse placed on him, and I believe also either Nimrod, there's another guy as well who feared a curse because the same thing was put on him. Adultery was also, as part of the Ten Commandments, in the book of Genesis, also considered moral in nature. Remember Joseph, who was tempted with Potiphar's wife, Potiphar's wife in, in Genesis 34. And what happened? He says, why should you, would I sin against my God, essentially, in partaking and taking my neighbor's wife? Um, clear understanding that adultery was sin in that. But you don't have that in the book of Genesis. Nothing else is mentioned. In fact, you don't have that until you get through the beginning of Exodus, through the Passover, until you get to the command to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Um, Then it was for that reason, and this is my assumption, and I believe that uh, it was so hard for the Jews to actually keep the Sabbath because it was something so foreign to them, something different for them. appreciated his point about the sojourner as well being included uh, in uh, along with uh, the observance of the Sabbath. But again, how does progressive revelation answer those things? Uh, The law itself being negated, no longer necessary to observe, uh, at what point do we, when it comes to observing Old Testament laws, do we stop? Do we pick and choose which ones we like when there are clear statements about the Old Testament law no longer being necessary to observe uh, in the New Testament? Is it so far-fetched if the dietary restrictions of the law, according to, uh, I believe it's Acts chapter 7, I could be wrong, uh, but according to the words of oh, Mark chapter 7, according to the words of Christ, if those are no longer necessary to observe, if the... Um, the dietary restrictions, if the miscellaneous laws uh, are not only no longer necessary to observe, but no longer part of practice in the life of the church now, particularly the one about shaving the sides of your beard or um, uh, not having clothing that has mixed uh, mixed materials in it. Is that something we would continue to observe? Uh, I understand that I appreciated his explanation on the transfer over, but I'd be happy to hear maybe some clarification on what are the lines uh, for for that type of thing. So I um, appreciated his explanation on it and being created. God created humanity and gave him purpose, and he put together the days and gave them purpose. And so it seems to me, unless there needed to be more explanation that, that was beyond the 15 minutes, my, my question is, okay, so how does that apply to Sunday? Does that apply now if the seventh day was legitimately blessed by God? So how does that apply now to... Okay, well, it's not the seventh day now, it's Sunday? That doesn't make any sense. Um, When it's clearly identified as the first day of the week where we meet, as I mentioned earlier on in my explanation, and then the Sabbath was the seventh day of the week. Now, how does it change? Why does it change? Um, I appreciated him bringing out Jesus in the New Testament, uh, says the Sabbath was made for man and not for the Sabbath. Uh, and I, I think there's there's probably a difference, a little nuance in how we would interpret that passage. Uh, I do appreciate uh, hearing his perspective on the idea that it would be for man. I don't think that that necessarily means that it is uh, particularly for every man, but more like it is made for the person for to be in service to the one who um, who it was created for, the purpose that was given to him. Uh, The idea of continuity and discontinuity, very helpful in my understanding of what his view is. He talked about the Passover and the Lord's Supper transferring over. In one sense, there was some continuity in the Passover uh, in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, it kind of transferred over into the Lord's Supper. The difference, I would say, between that and the Sabbath is there's a clear statement in the New Testament about this transferring over. But when it comes to the Sabbath, you don't have that in the New Testament. You have Jesus uh, when it comes to the Passover and the Lord's Supper on the very day of the Passover, uh, sitting and with his disciples and having the final Passover meal as he was brought. And this is something that was to continue on. You have instances in 1 Corinthians 11. Every pastor reads that every time they observe communion, where they were observing the Lord's Table the Lord's Supper in the New Testament. You don't have any clear statements about the continuity, uh, the continued continuity, the continued observance day of the Sabbath, and even less you have no understanding, no explanation of their continued observance of this of Sunday being the new Sabbath in that sense. So that was uh, I really really appreciated that. I, I was I'm grateful not only to know Sean. I'm grateful to hear his perspective on this. It helps me flesh things out. understand and be blessed by his explanation of these things Um, part of my issue here finally as i kind of close my statement here i got six minutes um the idea of the sabbath being ceremonial and moral Uh, i think when we get into cross-examination i want to ask him some questions on the necessary moral nature uh, of the sabbath i don't think anybody in reality in any churches today, would hold the Sabbath to the same standard that they would hold the rest of the Ten Commandments in practice, and I think by nature of that, it is an it is an understanding by nature of that that it is not moral. It is uh, it is something different. Uh, I know there are different classifications of the Old Testament law. You have the ceremonial, you have the moral law. You uh, there's one more I'm missing, but I do think that there's a sense in which with the Old Testament that you can kind of over classify. What do you do with the laws that are related to uh, the the clothing you wear and the shaving of your beard and things like that? How do you how do you answer that? Where where does that fall? Um, and uh, there's just kind of a, where does that fall? And it's not a bad thing. I mean, I'd be happy to hear another classification. I call those miscellaneous laws in and of myself. But in regard to there being a moral nature to it, I don't think that we're going to find that. I trust uh, as we go forward talking through cross-examination. So uh, great. Uh, appreciate so much again, Sean, your uh, uh, your explanation and your uh, uh, your conversation on that. So I'm going to end my cross or my uh, my response here a little early. Um. So just to ask officially, you're yielding the last five minutes of your time. Correct. Okay. Yep.
0: Oh. Uh. So Zach is yielding the last five minutes of his time. That does not mean that Sean gets 20 minutes. Yeah, that's He fine. still gets 15. Yeah. Uh, even To keep things 15. plain and simple. Uh. So Sean, whenever you're ready, you can give me the thumbs up, and then we'll start your time. Okay,
1: so I I admit there were points in my my explanation that I did not emphasize clearly enough or um, or thoroughly enough. So, um, as a way of responding um, to things that the Packy has uh, mentioned, let me begin with his arguments. It's kind of hard to discern things that are what he originally stated and things that were coming back at me um, in his response. But he did mention um, the statement quote If the epistles don't say it." And then he um, continued on to uh, refute that. Uh, so what we need to understand um, about that. Is the two places that he went to? He went to Hebrews uh, chapter three and four, and then he went to Colossians chapter two, verse eight through nineteen. Uh, what we need to understand: the two reference points that he made, which are the which are are good reference points, um, do not have anything to do with what is talked about in the fourth commandment as moral law. And we'll talk about the distinction of moral and ceremonial later. What uh, Hebrews is talking about, Hebrews 3 and 4, that passage, um, I agree with Packy uh, I agree with him on that, that it is, there I, I would agree in his statement that that is talking about a heavenly rest. I will confess that there are some um, persons in the Reformed camp that would make the argument that it is talking, when it says there remains a Sabbath rest, uh, there are those that would make the argument that it is saying that while we wait for the heavenly rest, we have a weekly Uh, Sabbath rest um, remaining here with us as we journey on to the new land, Um, which is interesting. I would say this. I mean, again, I don't agree with it, but just food for thought. Um, That whole passage, the pack you walked through was rest, 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 rest. And then in chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, Sabbath rest. So I would put that out there, just food for thought. I don't believe that it is talking about um, a weekly rest. I would agree with Packie on it that it is primarily talking about a heavenly, and he noted how Reformed people will tend to use that as an argument. Actually, I, I think I can clearly say I've read more Reformed material than Pachy has, and that's actually a hard, hard argument to find. Uh, one of the reasons I began to doubt uh, the Hebrews passage is for the very fact that I struggle to find um, Reformed argumentation um, with that hermeneutic that actually uses Hebrews for that. So that aside, it is a heavenly rest, Absolutely. Um, Colossians chapter two verse eight through nineteen. He didn't read the entirety of that. Uh, for the sake of time, I will not. But again, that's he or uh, Colossians chapter two verse eight through nineteen. Uh, that is uh, dealing with ceremonial law when it talks about the new moons, the festivals, the sabbaths. Or eight, I think it's eight. I mean, double check that. I think it's a sabbath um, verse sixteen. We get that word right there because I don't want yeah or a sabbath. So it is it is in the singular. But when you look at the flow, verse eight through uh, verse nineteen what you find is Paul is dealing with some kind of false teaching that has entered into the church there. Now, the classic question is, what is the source of the false teaching there at Colossae? I would, for starters, point to some of the things that he mentions that Paul is talking about that echo a lot of things he said otherwise regarding the Hebrews and their Judaizing of the Christian faith. Uh, He talks about the elementary principles, well, that's the exact same phrase he uses in um, Galatians uh, chapter 4, when he's, when he's um, calling the, the Jewish Christians away from going back into the Jewish religion. He's calling them away not to go back to the elementary principles. He also uses that in his writing on Hebrews. Now, maybe Paul didn't actually write, it with his, write Hebrews with his hand, uh, but most opinions about Hebrews connects Paul to that book in some form or fashion. And again, he uses that term in Hebrews chapter 6. The other term that he used regarding these things that he is calling them, that Paul in Colossians is calling them away from, says, don't be enslaved to these. Well, that's exactly what Paul says in Galatians chapter 4. And again, Galatians is clearly a refutation against Jews trying to make Gentile Christians be Jewish. It's a teaching against false Jewish teaching. There's a lot of similarity between Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 through 19, and what you find in Paul's argumentation in Galatians chapter 3 and 4. All that being said, when he mentions a Sabbath in Colossians chapter two verse sixteen, it is in the context of him dealing with ceremonial law. That is a ceremonial Sabbath, and we'll, we will see that there is a p- plain distinction between um, the Sabbath as ceremonial and moral um, in um, in its original giving. So, two comments there. So, in Hebrews chapter three verse four, I agree with Packy. That's about heavenly rest. Um, chapter two, I think, or Colossians chapter two. Um, I think the context lends us strongly to see that as referring to ceremonial law, not moral. Uh, so I would uh, have strong disagreement. He also mentioned the idea of the process of further uh, revelation. And so he said the epistles um, don't really say anything about this. And I would argue and say that he's making an argument from silence. The two spots he went, Colossians chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, they are not talking about this. They're talking about something completely different. The epistles do not speak to this topic of the fourth commandment. It is an argument from silence to say that the New Testament gives us reason to reject it. If it has already been published in the Word of God, written down by the finger of God in tablets of stone, then it continues on throughout the ages. Now, he said that in Acts, you do see things regarding things that are done on the Lord today. Now, he said that um, in Acts, it is not uh, prescriptive, um, but it is descriptive. I would be curious to find out how much of their activity... In Acts, he prescribes to his church as he's preaching in Acts uh, to his people. Um, I think that we have have to, I don't think we can just make that an off-the-cuff argument. I think we have to think very carefully about how we navigate Acts discerning what is prescriptive. And what prescriptive means is, do this. Uh, This isn't just an example. It is, do this. Descriptive is hey, this is just how it how it played out. This is this is the narrative. This is what happened. So anytime we preach narrative text, whether it's Mark, uh, whether it is um, uh, whether it's Acts, uh, it just takes discernment in that. So m- using that to argue away the Sabbath, I would do that with uh, caution, especially again his his statement that Acts is not prescriptive regarding this, but just describing what the what the apostles are doing. Uh, I think it's dangerous ground. Also, uh, he mentioned that in Mark, which I just got done preaching last fall, that in the statement that um, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, that we can't necessarily take that globally and, and globally in the sense of that Jesus is referring to all of mankind. Uh, I would challenge my opponent to look through uh, the book of Mark and find another example where Jesus uses that kind of terminology, where he doesn't say Israel, he doesn't say the Jews, he doesn't say the Hebrews, but he says man, and it's not referring to the Gentiles and the Jews. I would, I would challenge him to take a look at that because I said, I preach through it, you're not going to find it. Um, now, the other thing he mentioned uh, regarding uh, continuity, discontinuity, that this begins at creation and the old covenant, and I'm, I'm arguing it continues on, and my opponent has said, uh, no, no, it doesn't. And he said that the Passover does, um, in, as we see it um, in Colossians and elsewhere, it, or not, not Colossians, um, but the Passover in uh, Corinthians, yes, is very clearly uh, stated by Paul to have continued over. And my opponent said that's really got nothing to do um, with what we're talking about, the Sabbath. Um, but I would argue that the Passover is not a creation ordinance. The Passover didn't begin in creation. So we we think about that differently. There is some similarity to how we approach it hermeneutically. The method of our study, there is some similarity there regarding it continuing and it being transformed. The way that the Old Covenant Sabbath was observed is not one for one the same that we do. The principle is still there, but we don't have to follow it in the same manner. With that, though, let me go back to a creation ordinance that I did mention, marriage. I mentioned marriage at the beginning of that, along with work. In creation, God created the matter, and He created the purpose. He gave Adam work to do. I don't know if my opponent would say that now um, the mandate to work, to have a vocation, is now no longer necessary, Um, but I would argue that it is because it's from creation. Before sin entered the world, God created man to work. It's a part of the design of creation. It's not just a moral order. It is design. It's how God designed this world uh, to operate, and I desire to honor Him in using that. At the same time, marriage comes into that. Uh, now, I'm not going to say that, oh, um, I shouldn't have gotten married because Jesus is my, my my true groom. Like I'm part of the church, and Jesus is the groom, so uh, marriage is no longer necessary. No, it's from creation. It was created as good. It was designed with a purpose by God for mankind. And yet it also coexists alongside us now beginning to enjoy the marriage relationship with Christ. That marriage relationship with Christ has not come to its fullness. That will happen in the new creation. But I can enjoy my marriage to Hannah and all of its blessings, as well as enjoy the beginnings of my marriage to Christ as I'm part of the church and He is the bridegroom. In the same way, the Sabbath was put into creation. It is a part of the system. It's not just a moral order. It's a part of the system of creation. It's from the beginning. And therefore, I can enjoy a weekly rest while at the same time anticipating what Hebrews chapter 4 is talking about, where there's coming a day where every day is going to be sabbaton. Every day is going to be Sabbath. And it's going to be enjoyed far more than the best Sunday I ever have in this life. So the Sabbath remains because it's from creation. It is from the beginning. It is a part of God's design. So to throw it out is to throw away God's design. Now, why the Sunday? Because that came up a few different times. Well, I didn't say anything about that. Kind of ran out of time. Here we go. Why Sunday? Exodus t- chapter 20, verse 11, talks about creation as the example and reason for resting on the Sabbath. We fast forward to Deuteronomy chapter 5, in the republication of the same commandments. The fundamental difference between those two lists is the reason given for observing the fourth commandment. The reason given for the fourth commandment in the second publication of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5 is this And you shall remember that the Lord your God brought you out of slavery to Egypt by a strong hand and a mighty arm. That's redemption. First list of of commands points to creation, second list of commands points to redemption. There are types and shadows of things in the Old Testament throughout it that point to a greater work that God is going to do in the new. Christ, the Son of God, comes to begin a new creation according to 1 Corinthians 15. His resurrection was the first fruits of new creation. New creation by God is a process. It's not something that by, with the snap of the fingers is going to just come about in, in the time to come when Christ returns. It is already begun. Christ was the first fruits in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is new creation. We in our English we read he is a new creation, but that a, that indefinite article is not there in the Greek. Paul says he is new creation. The new creation process has begun by the work of Christ and it began at his resurrection. Secondly, with that, what we find in the New Testament in further revelation is that we are not to understand creation as spoken of in Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, about the reason for observing the command, and then we're not to divorce that, or not say divorce it, but separate it, keep it separate from redemption that's spoken of in the second list of the commands in Deuteronomy 5. Jesus shows us that these things go together. That redemption and creation in the work of Christ are seen together. He's making all things new, and he is redeeming people from their sin and preparing them for the new world that is to come. So, we celebrate, and there's, I cannot go into all, there, there are more explanations I could give, but I'll, sti- I'll stick to my point here. The reason why we no longer celebrate this on Saturday is for this reason. The work that Jesus did was far greater and is worthy of our memorializing and our giving attention to. His work there in the new creation, as recorded in the New Testament, is greater than his work at creation, according to Colossians chapter 1, and his setting Israel free, according to Jude, chapter, Jude verse 5. We now celebrate a greater work of Christ. To continue to, to, continue to memorial, memorialize the day of the first creation would be like this. Imagine you have a football team. That they've been striving hard all season. They win the regional championship. That's worth celebrating. That's a great thing. You worked hard. You got there. You celebrate re- winning the regional. But then two weeks later, you go to state and you win state. It would be folly to continue to celebrate the regional championship when you take in the state. It is a greater work worthy of greater celebration. The people of God in the New Testament, led by the apostles, begin to celebrate the Lord's day on that first day of the week because it memorializes a greater work. It is new creation. What the first creation pointed toward has been fulfilled by Christ in His work in the same way that redemption out of Egypt points to the beginnings of redemption from our sin unto eternity with, God, with Christ in relationship with Him. This is why we celebrate on Sunday. And that is based on the principle of, again, covenants, there is continuity, discontinuity. There are things that begin in the first covenant, they continue on in the new covenant, but different. That's why I brought up the Passover as an example of something that started as Old Covenant and continues on. The prophets of the Old Testament, they continue on. That prophetic office is not in the same fashion, but the church carries a prophetic office in this world. There are so many things that have a beginning in the Old Covenant and are transformed to have a place in the new covenant. So this is my response to what has been. uh...
0: Okay. So gentlemen, uh, the last portion of the debate and for those listening, thank you for uh, either tuning in again, uh, continuing to listen the whole time. Um, However, you're, uh, um, however you're reaching us or whatever portion of this debate, you're starting to listen. uh, I would encourage you to listen to the very beginning. So that way there's some clarity on, If you just jumped ahead to the cross-examination, that's fine, uh, but make sure you listen to the other portions too so there's some clarity in some of the questions that are going to be asked. So just a reminder, rules and regulations for cross-examination. Gentlemen, uh, questions only, please. If I don't think it's a question, uh, I will cut you off. Do it. I will interrupt you. I will ask you to re-ask the question. uh, Whether or not your opponent needs clarification or not, if I think it needs clarification, I will ask you to clarify. I will ask you to put it in the form of a question if I don't believe it is. Uh, And there is no rebuttal to the answer given to your question. Mm -hmm. Either ask another question that is uh, pointed in the direction you want to go. Ask a different question altogether. Uh, Your time to ask questions is your time to ask questions. Uh, For the person uh, answering a question... Uh, You are not going to be given a time restraint, but be please be respectful uh, to the time given uh, to the one asking the questions. Uh, If I think you're doing that, I will cut you off and uh, return the time back to the one uh, asking the questions. So, 15 minutes of Zach asking Sean, and then 15 minutes of Sean asking Zach. Does that make sense? Sounds good. Okay. Packy, we'll be going first as far as cross-examination. Please, again, keep the rules in mind.
2: All right. Uh, so, Sean, in, you mentioned this already, and, uh, and also in your blog post, February 2021, you state, The content of the Ten Commandments represents the moral expectation of God for all of his people. Would you say that the Sabbath is therefore moral by nature? Yes. Okay. Um, just so we're clear on a definition, uh, a good a Google definition. See if you can agree with this. For morality is quote the quality of being in accord with standards of right or good conduct. A system or collection of ideas of right or wrong conduct. Would that be an, an appropriate definition? Or maybe would you? Would you? Wanna... I
1: will say yes, with the caveat that I sure. would want to go. To the scripture first to determine what those sure. words are that are in the definition.
2: Okay. Okay. Well, if we play with that, if there's, a, if there's anything you want to add to the definition, I mean, okay, let me ask you a question. Uh, would you then say that violating a moral standard would be crossing the line into immorality? Yes. Okay. Um, if someone in your church were to cheat on his wife, how many times would he have to do that before he would commit an act of immorality and thus be worthy of church discipline?
1: It will be a matter of times, but also the heart in that as well. There's a difference between a man that is repetitively um, cheating on his wife and doing it flagrantly and carelessly and versus it, someone that um, ha- has a
2: more repentant heart. Okay. It. Would, uh, would it be one time worthy of confrontation, uh, bringing two witnesses if he were to commit an act of adultery? If there were two witnesses to
1: the offense, we would begin um, at the first place of correction that
2: yep. Jesus and Paul gives. Right. But you would do that. Okay. Um, are there any exceptions in the scripture where cheating on your spouse is tolerated? No. Okay. No. If someone, second, next question, if someone as a member in your church were to embezzle money, how many times would he or she have to do that before he or she has committed an act of immorality? Just once. Okay. Are there any exceptions where stealing or taking something that doesn't belong to you would be considered moral or perhaps neutral? Yes. Okay. Would you further explain what would be – when stealing something that doesn't belong to you would be considered moral or neutral? Based on Mark chapter 2 where we see that there is a
1: difference of law, that the Mm -hmm. preservation of human life – Uh, according to jesus when he's commenting on david going into the tabernacle and eating the holy bread to preserve the life of his men although that was a transgression of the law Mm because the bread was only for the priest based on that principle if we went into complete anarchy as a country uh, there's no market uh, no one at the store and i need to break into the store and take some bread peanut butter and jelly to feed my daughters i would have no problem of conscience doing that
2: did david steal
1: the show bread he ate the show bread okay which was only for the priests, according to Christ. Okay,
2: all right. So you you believe that there would be a hierarchy of uh, of in that in that regard? Okay. Jesus taught that. In Mark, yes. Okay. Uh, if someone, as a member of your church, were to get a job where he or she had to work uh, one Sunday a month uh, retail, how many times would he or she have to work that Sunday before he or she has committed an act of immorality? One. One time. Okay. So. You would say that you would you church discipline that person if they had worked that Sunday and uh, they're, they're worthy of the same confrontation as they would be if they committed adultery, if they, uh, uh, if they, uh, if they stole something that didn't belong to them, they'd be worthy of, of confrontation along those lines?
1: No, based on your previous question, though. No.
2: Uh, Which question are you referring to?
1: About the how many times about adultery. It's not a matter of times. It's a matter of heart and times. You can't just answer that off of just amount of times.
2: Okay. Okay. Sure. Matter of heart. And it it should be before that then. Is that right? Am I understanding that correct? It would be addressing the heart before addressing the actions. Is that what I'm understanding? There's a
1: lot more I I need to say to that, but I can't with how the question is worded. But I would just say, yeah, it is an act of immorality, but there is much more that needs
2: to be said of that. Okay. All right. So and and maybe i'm missing up misunderstanding so you would you would confront that person then church discipline that person because they worked a retail job once a month and had to do that
1: as a first step no i would talk with them i would sure. not confront them
2: okay sure you talk with them but they they have somehow committed an act of immorality by doing that that's the reason for the approach okay so you would do that appreciate your uh, consistency so um a Google definition of law, we'll just go with that, is a rule or conduct or procedure established by custom, agreement, or authority, the body of rules and principles governing the affairs of a community and enforced by political authority or legal system. Maybe we'll just start with the first section here. A rule of conduct or procedure established by custom, agreement, or authority. Is that a good working definition? You it, to, if you want me to read it again, I can do that. No, that's okay, because in this context, absolutely not. I'm going to okay. go to the Torah. Okay. Okay. Um, so, uh, let's, uh, let's adjust the definition. A rule of conduct or procedure established by Scripture. Like a command, right? Am I understanding that correctly? By the Torah, by, by Scripture. A rule of conduct or procedure established by Scripture.
1: Yes, but it's more than just that. Okay. All right.
2: Um, That's Google. All right. So, how would you amend that definition?
1: It's not so much the words, it's the source. I want to understand nope. law. Okay. Based on how it is revealed within the scripture, that context. Not so much because we're Bible believers, but just true students. You okay. want to stay within a context of how something's being revealed and explained. Okay. Google is an internet tool in the 21st century.
2: Um, that's. I mean, it's just. So, so could you provide a better definition than that would be biblical in nature of the word law? Maybe just. I want to work with what you. I just want to. I just want to agree on a definition. Is all. Make sure we're for the sake of
1: time. If you want to use the content of it, I just want to be clear that I've I have some problems with how it's coming about. But for the sake of time, I will I will go with your um, okay. go with that definition. Okay, there.
2: I'm sorry if my, my I'm just trying to pick something that we could agree on that that would be easy. Okay, go with another definition here. Um, the the Google definition for a rule is a, a, an authoritative prescribed direction for conduct, like a rule, as in like a list of mm-hmm. rules, right? An authoritative prescribed direction of conduct, perhaps we would add, by God. Okay. Okay, that works. Okay, is it safe to say that the rule that a rule or a law governs what one can or cannot do? Yes, it governs that. Okay, all right. In your blog post, you write, quote, We ought not to think about Sunday in connection to a list of what we can and cannot do, but we should consider it as a day of opportunity where we do stop our everyday work and turn our eyes, the hearts of our hearts, to our Savior, end quote. If Sabbath observance isn't about what we can or cannot do, wouldn't it be better not to call it Sabbath observance a law at all? Because by definition, a law is about what you can and cannot do. Where did my quote close? You know, I can pull up the blog. Well, no, Sorry. You, 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 right, you started not quoting me. Quote, yeah, let me say it again. Quote, we ought not to think about Sunday in connection to a list of what we can and cannot do, but we should consider it as a day of opportunity where we do stop our everyday work and turn our eye, the eyes of our hearts to our Savior, end quote. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so I'll ask the question again. If Sabbath observance isn't about what we can and cannot do, wouldn't it be better not to call Sabbath observance a law at all? Because definitions of laws are about what we can and can't do.
1: And here's why I didn't want to bring Google in because sure. you're
2: you're cross you're crossing two
1: different categories that okay. aren't compatible. I mean, okay. the descriptions in Torah are rule, law, statutes,
2: commands. Like, there's different terminology okay. within the context that's used there. So, okay. how, um, how do we? How? And I'm and I'm just wanting to work on a definition here. Well, no, I'm fine with the definition,
1: sure. but you're getting te- you're taking technicalities in the definition and pressing it into a biblical argument.
2: Okay. And so that's okay. So because you're, you're asking, should we not call? What was your question? We should not call it a law. Uh, is it is it Is it uh, wouldn't it be better not to call Sabbath observance a law at all because the definition of laws are about what we can and cannot do?
1: Oh, okay, got you. Yep. Okay, hey. so the okay, so let me answer to the question. I'm sorry. Okay. Yep. I'll do this quickly. Um, it is a law according to the Ten Commandments. I can't do anything about that. Sure. That was written by God's finger. Um, what I was getting at in my context mm-hmm. is that across Scripture from Genesis chapter two, where it's blessed, it's a holy day. It's given as a blessing to humanity. Mm-hmm. And what Isaiah talks about that it is a blessing. The Gentiles will even think of it as a blessing. Yeah. That that is how so God's law to the new to the new heart, the person born again, God's law is not burdensome according to first John. Mm-hmm. It's a blessing. So um too mm-hmm. often in our culture we think about Sabbath yeah. as this burden instead okay. of a blessing. That was the context that I was getting at. Okay.
2: All right. So so though it is, and if I'm understanding you correctly, though it is law, um, we don't need to think about it as a law. We don't need as to a think burden. As a burden, okay. As a as a burden, okay. Um, what scripturally constitutes a violation of the Sabbath in our day and age? Scripturally, scripturally in our day, what would constitute a violation of the Sabbath?
1: Forsaking uh, the gathering of believers from okay. Hebrews chapter ten. Okay. Um, there would also be. Um, uh,
2: may I May I start with that? Okay. Go ahead. Okay. Um, where in Hebrew- First of all, uh, did you need to finish? Yeah, I'm sorry. Let me not interrupt you. Go ahead. There was one more thing I want to say, and that yeah, was um,
1: mishandling the day in that we bring in unnecessary um, tasks and duties into that day. Okay. Where things that can't, they're not immoral, but things that mm-hmm. can be done elsewhere that are not sacred um, can be done at another time. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that, namely the, the use of the church service. Okay. Um, when churches make them concerts and TED talks, mm-hmm. I would argue you're violating that.
2: Appreciate that. That's very helpful to think through. Um, so, where in Hebrews ten do you see an emphasis on the day? Well, I, there's
1: no emphasis in there. Cause okay. we're talking because we're talking about forsake not the gathering of believers, right? Oh, that's what we're sure. both, both in sure. my. Yeah. I, I didn't say it, but that's what yeah, yeah forsake not the gathering of believers. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it doesn't mention the day, but what day do the believers gather? I mean, if we're looking at the yeah. New Testament canon, I'm sorry, I should right. ask you a question. Right. No, no, I'm just saying. Yeah. I'm No, <laughs> so Rhetorical.
2: is it? Is it forsaking the assembling of yourselves together if you meet with God's people on your Thursday Bible study and you can't make it on Sunday?
1: In New Testament context,
2: yes. Okay, so it is it is actually forsaking the assembly, even though you are assembling. Am I understanding that correctly? You're still assembling with God's people, just not on Sunday. I will go ahead and go with a no on that one. Okay. Uh, would work for monetary gain be a for, uh, violation of Sabbath? Working for money, just just for my it would it would, de- it would depend on how okay. what work you're doing. Okay. Um, playing outside, would that constitute a violation? That is a matter of conscience. Okay. Uh, washing your car. I'm just, these are things I've heard. Conscience. 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 Okay, mowing your lawn, same thing, conscience. Conscience. Okay. Appreciate that. Would it be accurate to say that uh, contrary to the other nine commandments of the Sabbath would be probably the most difficult to figure out if you really violated it out of the other the other ten? Because of our ignorance in various ways, yes. Sure. Okay. That's fine. That's fine. Um, I got two minutes. You are a first-century pastor, and your congregant Maximus is a slave. Uh, his master requires him to work on Sunday. Is he in violation of keeping the Sabbath? It, we'll start with that question. Is Maximus in violation of keeping his Sabbath?
1: Yes. Okay.
2: Is there a way for him to meet with God's people and work on the same day? That's you want to strive for. Okay. Right.
1: Heart again, matter of the heart. It's not just the doing; it's the heart. Does the slave really want to be there? Okay. And does he wish to figure out a way to his for his life pattern? to be altered so that he can honor the Lord's day. Okay. Is his heart there, sure. but the sinful context of this world that he finds himself in is not allowing him to do that. Is it his willful okay. decision not to be there? Or is he being forced by tyrannical means not to be there?
2: Can you steal with the right heart and maybe, or commit adultery with the right heart and it's still okay to do that? I
1: would go back. Yes, I would say back to what I said. Where I might steal bread, mm-hmm. butter, and jelly to sure. feed my family if mm-hmm. there is a serious crisis that does not allow for me to go actually give money to the cashier. Okay, well, I would remove it from the store, and I believe in the hierarchy of law as revealed in the Torah mm-hmm. that I could do that with a clear conscience.
2: Okay, very good. I have uh, 20 seconds here. Um, your blog says, "Quote in this time, the day that is set apart as holy as Sunday." the day when our servant Savior rested from his work in the New Testament church assembled itself. Uh, End quote. What day of the week did Jesus say it is finished?
1: He said it's finished
2: on Friday. Okay. Uh, If Jesus said it is finished on Friday, wouldn't it be more accurate to say that he rested on Saturday?
0: Uh, Answer Answer the question. That'll be the last one. Okay.
1: When we look just at the cross narrative, it would seem so. Okay. But we have to realize in the New Testament canon that the work of the cross, the grave, and the ascension are seen together.
2: Okay. Okay. Appreciate it.
0: Very good. Uh, so that's 15 minutes of cross-ex from uh, Mr. Patkey. Thank you for obeying the time and uh, doing well at asking questions. Uh, I thought you did great. Thank you. Uh, Sean, hold you to the same standard uh, whenever you're ready and Zach is ready. Gentlemen, are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay, 15 minutes.
1: Like, um, Zach, I want to reciprocate what you said earlier. Glad to have this moment. Glad to have this time as we just yeah. bat back and forth. And I hope above everything that our listeners are uh, being blessed uh, by this. Yeah. So a question that ties into the topic of further revelation. I know you mentioned that a few a few times. Uh, I'm going to, kind of in a humorous way, not in a, not in a disrespectful That's way, but in a humorous right? way, sure. I want to ask um, a question that asked my daughter, JL, quite a bit from the uh-huh. Boys and Girls Baptist Catechism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not looking for the word for word answer, but just uh, being a boys and girls catechism, I think you'll be able to just give the general answer. Even if it's not word for word, you won't get a penny like jail, (laughs) though. Candy, maybe. No. So here's the question. Yeah. Who tempted Adam and Eve to sin?
2: Satan in the form of a serpent.
1: Okay. How do you know that it was Satan? Because it does not say that in Genesis chapter three.
2: Revelation 20 says it. Okay. For the revelation. For the revelation. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. The serpent of old and the devil Satan is what it said.
1: Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. If the Bible gives us more information about the creation narrative on other points, might it be possible that Exodus 20 verse 11 is divine commentary on the purpose God gave of one of the days of creation?
2: It's possible. Yeah.
1: What other part of creation, as recorded in Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 1 through chapter 2, verse 3, regarding purposes that were given, as mentioned, work, marriage, the general human mandate. Um, what part of creation recorded in those pl- in those places, besides the Sabbath, as commented on in Exodus 20, verse 11, has been
2: suspended? Uh, I would say the rest, those, as you mentioned, have continued, and the New Testament bears witness to that. Is the Sabbath
1: only ceremonial?
2: I'm not sure how to classify which one I would how I would put the sabbath. Um I don't think it's moral, but I would say that it is uh, that it is something that I'm not sure if it's ceremonial or if it's one of the miscellaneous kind of I have to think of uh, different classifications on that. So
1: so as a ceremon- as a, at least in part, yeah, ceremonial mm-hmm. law. Um what foundation does it stand on if not moral?
2: I guess I would say it stands on command to the children of Israel by God be his foundation. Okay, so just to clarify, in that covenant relationship,
1: Uh yep. okay, so then are all the ceremonial laws not based on moral law but simply based on the fact that God said it? Sure. Okay. Can you name another ceremonial law which has the death
2: penalty for breaking it? Yeah. um, If you don't meet uh, on the uh, the three feast days, is that a ceremony? Would you consider that ceremonial law? You were cut off from your people. I said death penalty. Yeah, that is. That's what that means. Cut off does mean the death penalty. The same word is used in Isaiah fifty three of Christ when he was cut off regarding his death on the cross that was prophesied in Isaiah fifty three. Yeah, that's what that means. Cut off
1: is cut off ever used for another punishment besides the death penalty?
2: As far as I know, I don't think so. And, and I would say possibly maybe exile okay it's possible but I'm not I'm under the persuasion that it cut off does does reference death that's what he's talking about okay how do you determine what commands continue and what don't New Testament revelation uh, when the New Testament tells us these things uh, we look I mean I guess for the sake of you're talking about Galatians right the Judaizers and whatnot um, When it comes to the Old Testament law observance, what happens is people like to pick and choose. And when the New Testament says clearly in Mark chapter 7, for example, that the dietary restrictions of the law are no longer necessary, Christ has cleansed all the different foods. Uh, When you see clear examples in the New Testament where you have the vision of Peter, where he sees uh, rise, Peter, kill, and eat all different animals, the dietary restrictions of the law are no longer necessary to observe. Uh, When it comes to other Uh, miscellaneous areas of the law. I think the the book of Galatians is very clear in the description of uh, what we are no longer bound under. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty where Christ has made us free and do not be entangled in the yoke of bondage, particularly that of the Old Testament law. Um, Acts chapter 15 describes that this was, uh, particularly with circumcision, this was a law that we were were unable to, our ancestors were unable to fulfill, unable to do. And so uh, the Sabbath fits underneath that rubric uh, from a moral standpoint. Is God's law a burden? Um, if we're going with what uh, what Peter meant in Acts 15, that this was a, a, uh, a burden that our forefathers couldn't hold. If it is a means of gaining righteousness, especially, it is a burden. Uh, if we are required to keep every single one of the 600 plus in order to be right with God uh then absolutely it is a burden. Um, it is uh, it is good. I'm not saying that it's bad. Uh, Paul makes that clear in Romans that' it, it's the, the law is good. It's not a bad thing, but it is something that if we we're required to keep this, in order to gain God's favor, or in order to stay, depends on what you depends on the text, but uh, in order to be continually right with him or whatever, that uh, uh, that would be a burden, yes. So, what was it in Scripture that dictated to Israel that they were required to keep the law? Um, We can go with... I want to say, was it Deuteronomy thirty? Um, we could go with Exodus. I want to say it, when the blood of the covenant, okay. right, where, yeah. uh, where where Moses sprinkles on the people the blood, they were required to keep this, and Israel stood up and said, uh, "All the commands that are given to me, we will do." Okay, so
1: that's fair. Yeah. So, is it the covenant relationship that's the burden?
2: Covenant relationship would not be a burden. I don't think if you're if you're talking about being right with God. If what you what you mean by that, the covenant is, that was
1: given to Israel. Yeah on Mount Sinai, is that the burden,
2: or is the moral law of God the burden? I'm not sure what uh, how we would divorce the two. I guess, would you mind... Well, can I I can't ask you a question.
0: Do you need clarification? Yeah, would just you mind clari-
2: cl- clarify what you mean by covenant relationship. Okay. God's
1: moral law is revealed in covenant at Sinai. Okay. God's moral law. Okay. His moral law is eternal.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Is that moral law that is eternal revelation of God himself, the burden, or is the context in which it was given to Israel of a covenant of of obedience, blessing, disobedience, death? Which one was it? Do this and you shall live. Was it the covenant regulations connected to the law that was the burden or was it the law of God?
2: For the sinner, both, right? I mean, like from a moral standpoint, we realize that it is It is the revelation. Like Paul said in Romans, I didn't know what covetousness was until it was revealed to me and it affected his conscience, right? It really, so yeah, in a sense, I could say that it is a burden. I hope I'm understanding your question. That's fair. Um, Why did the apostles gather on the first day of the week? um, I do think that though the scripture doesn't explicitly say, and perhaps you can point it out to me, I'd be happy uh, to hear you say that, that it is in reference to the resurrection of Christ.
1: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Is it prescriptive or descriptive for the apostles meet
2: on the Lord's Day? For the apostles to meet on the Lord's Day? Uh, if you're referring to it being the day, being what's emphasized, then it is in the Scripture. Uh, mo- I would say in Acts, Acts 20, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 16, uh, it, is, it is when you meet, essentially saying this is what is happening. When you do it, do these things. So it's not like the day is as important as what we talked about earlier, uh, Hebrews 10 that the gathering is what is called in importance, too. And though it is called the Lord's Day, and it is a special day, uh, you don't see a command that it has to be Sunday. You've got to do it Sunday, even though though that is— So why not do church on Monday? Because I think it's good to continue on with exactly what the church has done in the past. Um, Why would would there be any difference in—I guess, if I could— if i could put it to you this way if sunday were an impossible day for us to meet say for example we're under persecution right and the the government is gunning for us on sunday to meet because that's the day the churches meet it's not wrong for us to say okay let's go on monday let's let's do let's meet together and have our worship day on wednesday i think the the idea of the new testament does that so that we would have freedom in case of those types of situations and uh, that we would continue on with much important. It is the relationships that are a part of uh, of being a part of the church. That's what that's what Ephesians is all about. That's what the one another's are. It's about the relationships that are important, and that's garnered in uh, the meeting.
1: So to be clear, you're using an exception to make sure. a rule. Yeah. Okay.
2: I know. Right. I would, well, I'm sorry. What I would say is. That uh, it is not wrong for us to do that. Uh, I would say that we we should continue on meeting on Sunday. There's no reason to do anything different. So Christianity has always met on yeah.
1: on Sunday. Yeah. But I thought. But are we going to use are we going to use scripture? Or are we going to use church history to determine what day we meet on? Uh, scripture. Okay.
2: Yeah. Because that was in scripture. That was the pattern, right? Acts 20 verse seven. Right. 1 Corinthians 16 one right. and two.
1: So, um, how would you lead an elder or a deacon who wanted to meet on Monday? Like he wants to say, let's change our, our personal church ca- our, our local church calendar and let's start
2: meeting on Monday. Uh, yeah, I would I would ask him why. I would say, well, so what exactly are we are we seeking to accomplish? Is this about and maybe going to what you were talking about, addressing the heart starting off. It's like, so wh- is this because Jim Bob's church down the street is meeting that way, or is it because y- you want to go against what's what's been the past? I mean, um, I think that there's freedom here, but there's that there has to be a good reason uh, in order to do that. Now does that help at all? What would that re- that? Yeah, yeah what would that reason be based on? The reason why it would move? I gave you one example that would no be no, no, only- no no
1: no no no, I'm sorry. Uh, that, I, I can see where that would have gotten where you could understand me asking that. Um, where would your reason be coming from? You ask a question you said you're asking questions. Yeah, but obviously you're asking questions because you have a different perspective than your deacon that's proposing this. Sure.
2: So where I would base being? it on Scripture, right? I would point to uh, what it has been in the past. 1 Corinthians sixteen. I'd point to Acts twenty verse seven. And what's the purpose? Why would we do this? I mean, what exactly is is the problem here? You know, is that esteeming
1: one day more important than another?
2: Depends on what you mean by that.
1: Well, well, well um, I, I give the definition of what Paul Paul talks yeah. about in Romans fourteen. Let no man esteem one day uh, more than or judge you for esteeming one day more than another.
2: Define. Can Can I ask? What do you mean by that? Like, what is? What do you mean by that in that question? When you said, "Is that esteeming one day above another?"
1: If you're If you are striving to keep it on Sunday, uh-huh. your your elders want to move it to Monday, mm-hmm. but you're striving to keep it there. Are you esteeming one day above another? Why not meet on Monday? Paul says to.
2: I mean, in not the context one of, day over the other, in the context of Romans fourteen, it's not. He's not con- condemning somebody to esteem one day above another. What he's saying is. Uh, some people do emphasize the day, and, uh, and that's okay. You're still observing it to the Lord. As some people emphasize another day during the week. Or, for example, when you're talking about um, observing holidays, right? Whether mm-hmm. we would observe a holiday, or if one of the feast days in the Old Testament, some esteem the day itself above another, and others, uh, others don't. Um, and they're still observing it to the Lord.
1: Why do the apostles have to give affirmation to what from creation, the good
2: creation, continues on? Um, I think part of it is to affirm the apostles, uh, are in line with the past in scripture with what is past, but also how does it affirm our practice? Um, what does our practice look like in the new Testament church? So that I guess in a sense that we look through not to the apostles, but to Christ to be able to say, okay, what is our practice now? Right. If you love me keep my commandments, what is our practice now? Well, we look to Christ to see what is it we're called to do Uh, He who who created the world is also the one, as you mentioned, who recreated us in Christ. He's the standard. I wouldn't say creation, but but uh, Christ is the standard for that.
0: Thank you again, Sean, for keeping to the question format.
2: uh, Didn't we want to have you do something, Zach, here at this point, or do you have? I have. I will, for the
0: sake of time, I will ask each one of you one question. And to be honest with you guys, uh, I've got a lot of questions that you guys answered that I wrote down, so I don't even need to ask them. uh, so if it's okay, I'll start with uh, I'll start with Zach. Okay. So that's okay, I'll ask, and you just just roll with it. Do what I can. Um, I'm being I'm cheating and not holding myself to the. <laughs> You're the moderator. Yeah. You can do whatever
1: yeah. the heck you want. Yeah, right?
0: There's no command or continuity as as far as the Sabbath being commanded in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. How do you regard, re- interpret, what do you think of Jesus' statements in the Gospels that uh, Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath, or wait, I think I'm getting that. Well, right. I
2: think in the context, I think it's Mark chapter two. Uh, in the context, he's talking to the uh, the Pharisees who had made the Sabbath an incredible burden. Uh, some of the some of the commandments that were given to them, like women couldn't have uh, earrings that weighed more than a dried fig. Um, you weren't supposed to walk a certain number of steps throughout your day on the Sabbath. So the context is about. How the way the way in which the Pharisees were creating making the Sabbath uh, a burden? He's not taking that out of context to make it be well. Now this is a continuing thing. This is this was the intention of what was given on the Sabbath. What we were supposed to do. Now does that help at all? Yeah.
0: No, that's okay. great. And I'm, I these are just questions that that I had. I'm, I'm not even necessarily looking for further clarification. I just I wanted to be able to ask things too. Okay. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. Uh, and so. Uh... <laughs> Okay, Sean, uh, as it relates to uh, the disobeying of the Sabbath, um, how do you go about uh, talking to brothers or sisters in Christ who are at sometimes required to work on Sundays? As a police officer uh, do we, or something. Do we, yeah, do we, uh, uh, do you believe, sorry, these are multiple questions here, that part A, uh, if you understand that, part B, uh, would that said person, in your opinion, as you interpret the scriptures, uh, be required to burn PTO?
1: That's a fair question. Uh, I would say, just first, first of all, no to the PTO, so we can we can deal with that. No, no burning of the PTO. <laughs> what I would what I would point out as we've talked about through this debate is that there is a hierarchy of law. Uh, preservation of life is very much high up on that. Um, yeah. It is something that from the beginning, even like Noah. After the flood, um, that life was to be preserved, the shedding of blood was to be met with the shedding of blood. So with that uh, in mind, when we think about what is to be done on the Lord's day, the biblical principles that we have regarding God's um, revealed sanctity of life is not going to have us use a law that's meant as a blessing to life, be used to burden it in such a way as to hinder the preservation of life. So you have a police officer, you have a doctor, you have uh, military personnel, you have persons that have occupations that are serving to preserve life. Uh, policemen are serving to preserve law and order so that there may be happiness and life um, in our communities. Doctors, same way when it comes to, to to like you have a heart attack or something, your life is in danger. There's a doctor there to, to care for that. Uh, military personnel be on a larger scale. Um, so long as you're dealing with a just and righteous government. But generally, so in our American context, um, our military personnel are keeping, keeping our country safe. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a matter of, does this is there a law that is more pressing that is going to be kept and preserved by something as such that you've described working on that day? And I would say it's not transgressing it. You're keeping it. You are honoring God by... Um, by, by doing the the vocation he has given you, which is not fr- well, I don't want to say frivolous because I don't want to think other occupations are frivolous, but they don't hold that same level of um, of necessity mm. in uh, caring for life. So and this, I, I will put it on a lower level. I put it on the same uh, dynamic of me feeding my children. Mm. Uh, my daughters cannot cook. Mm-hmm. Uh, me taking time to feed them is preserving life, mm. and so and it kind of goes back to the whole sabbath context of mark chapter 2 the context leading jesus making that statement is Mm -hmm. essentially that the preservation of human life is of utmost importance Mm -hmm. david went in ate the bread that was only commanded for the priest to eat but nonetheless it was a it was a good act
0: Mm -hmm. very good well i have enjoyed it i've got a lot of notes that i'm going to read through Mm -hmm. um more conversations to be had. I really, really hope that uh, people listening have enjoyed this. I know it's a little bit more lengthy, um, but I personally think that uh, this is this is great. These conversations uh, are a must between brothers. Uh, I hope you felt the brotherly affection for one another. I know, uh, on a serious note, I did. These guys respect and love each other, uh, and it was a great conversation. So, if you jumped ahead to cross examination, skip back. Listen to what these guys had to say so there's uh, some context behind it. Um, But please continue to listen to Theologic. Any closing thoughts on uh, today? Thank you, Zach. Thank you, Sean. Yeah, very good, gentlemen. Well, thanks for listening, and uh, stay tuned for more debate, more interview, and more episodes on Theologic.